Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever asked yourself, why don't more people go to church? Why doesn't everybody in America go to church? And uh, how much of the Old Testament is applicable to a Christian's life today? What does the New Testament say about that question? And why did Jesus come at all? What was new that Jesus brought to the world? And how did the apostles evangelize non-Jews? Because those questions are questions that are addressed in a brand new book coming out September 18th by my friend Andy Stanley. It's called Irresistible, Reclaiming the New that Jesus Unleashed for the World. And in this book, Andy answers those questions and exposes one of the biggest myths that I think both Christians and non-Christians, even atheists, believe about the Bible and Christianity. And that myth not only causes Christians to be confused and timid, in fact, it neuters their apologetics and evangelism effort, efforts, but that myth also keeps many non-Christians out of the kingdom. And tragically, it's Christians who are often the ones spreading that myth, and we continue to spread it today. Now, what's the myth and what's the solution? We're going to get to it today with Andy. Those of you who uh, have heard the, this program before uh, have known uh, Andy from the program a couple of years ago, we talked about uh, an issue that came up. And of course, most of you know Andy anyway, because he's the founder of the North Point Ministries, a series of churches that began in 1995. There are about six churches now in Atlanta. There's about 70 churches around the world that globally every week serve, get this, about 120,000 people every week. He's also the host of a TV program called Your Move. And if you're up late after Saturday Night Live, you can see it. You can also get it on the Your Move app, which I highly recommend you do. Uh, over 7 million messages each month are downloaded or watched either on television or through podcasts. Andy's written more than 20 books. This newest book, again, is called Irresistible. He's considered one of the most influential pastors in America. He has three grown children. He and his wife, Sandra, live outside of Atlanta, and it's always great to have Andy on. Andy, how are you? Frank, wow. What an introduction. I need to take you with me everywhere I go. <laughs> well, that's it. You know, you, you're going to be, you just reminded me of something. You're going to be touring about this book coming up uh, yeah, right about starting, now, aren't you? Right about in uh, September? Starting Wait. September. Yeah, we're going to be uh, in Irvine. We're going to be in Lancaster. We're going to be in Orlando, Charlotte. We're going to be in about seven or eight cities and I did this last fall. It's a lot of fun. I basically just talk all day. Everybody just sits and takes notes and listens, and we ask questions, and it's just a lot of fun. And I'm so excited about the content of this book. So uh, if you go to deepandwidetours.com, you can find out if I'm coming to a city near you. So. Deep and Wide Tours. We're coming here to Charlotte. I hope to see you when you're here. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think that's in November. You're going to be in Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, and for those listening, you can follow Andy at a number of websites, andystanley.com. Uh, also, his official Facebook site is Andy Stanley Official, so check that out. 
He's on Instagram. He's on Twitter. He's 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 out there. And uh, for those of you uh, who don't know, uh, one thing you might know might not know about Andy is that he was educated in apologetics by Dr. Norma Geiser, the same mentor that I had. And Andy learned apologetics from Dr. Geiser down at Dallas. I learned about uh, apologetics from Dr. Geiser here at Southern Evangelical Seminary. In fact, that's how we know one another. We, yeah. uh, Norm and I came to your church back in 2001. I don't know yeah. if you even remember that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but at that point, there was, it was just North Point, just the one church. And now you have five others in the, in the Atlanta era. Tell, tell people yeah, a little bit about that. Yeah, well, yeah, we started with one site, and we got to be on the front edge of the multi-site thing, which is just so amazing. So we have five, six, seven, there's nine actually churches in the Atlanta area. Then we planted some other campuses around the country. And I love being a pastor and I'm a pastor at heart. And uh, I, you know, I'm blessed that my messages go all over the place. But at the end of the day, I go to staff meetings, I do weddings and funerals and um, plan sermon series. And I just love being a local church pastor. So well, another thing that people don't know about North Point that they ought to know about is there's a lot more that goes on beyond just Sunday morning. I mean, you have seminary profs coming in there teaching. You have all sorts of ministries going on. So it's not just what you see on Sunday morning, friends, when you look at Andy at North Point. I mean, it's great to watch what you do because you're a great communicator and you make things so applicable to everyday life. Uh, but friends, there's a lot more that goes on with regard to North Point. So you can watch them live. I watch them frequently when I'm on the road and I, I can't get to my own church. Uh, North Point, you can you can click on North Point and North Point Live will show you the uh, the sermon live. And you can also then go watch it later. In any event, let's get back to this book, Andy. The book is called Irresistible, Reclaiming the New That Jesus Unleashed for the World. And in the very beginning of this book, you pose a question, why doesn't everyone in America go to church? What's the answer to that? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> there's the book begins with that question, but it's not my question. I was actually in China. I met a 20-something-year-old Chinese uh, young lady who was at a, working in a factory, an American-owned factory. And uh, she found out I was a pastor. And she said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. She said, why? And this is where her, was her question. Why doesn't everyone in America go to church? She'd been a Christian about two years. She had to travel by bus a couple of hours. It was very inconvenient for her to even find a church. And she just could not believe that in America, where there were churches everywhere, so she had heard, and accessible it basically any day of the week, and it wasn't illegal. She just couldn't imagine why wouldn't everybody in America not go to church. And you can imagine... How do you answer that question to to a 23, 24-year-old young lady who would go to church every time the door was open, if there was a door to open? So that question has rattled around in my head ever since. And, um, you know, I love creating churches and planting churches, but that's a, that's a fair question. And the short answer is the reason they don't go to church is because they've been, number one, mm-hmm. and number two, because our modern version of Christianity, I think, is so fatally flawed that because we are so educated, because of the internet, because of the misinformation age, um, we have been our own worst enemy in terms of messaging this fabulous story of the gospel that should cause everybody to sit up straight and at least hope that it's true. Well, you say that so many people have left the church for the wrong reasons. Why do you think they're really leaving? Well, um, according to Barna, according to Pew, according to everybody who does the research, the, the bottom line is they just don't believe, or basically they don't believe anymore. That's what people finally say. I mean, yeah, they had bad church experiences, and 
yeah, they've heard this and that about the Bible, but at the end of the day, they just say, you know what, I just don't believe it anymore. And of course, the question, Frank, that you and I wrestle with all the time because of what you do and what I do is what is it? What mm-hmm. What is it that you stop right. believing? What is it that you thought you had to believe to be a Jesus follower? And what we discover is that in the majority, the vast majority of cases, the things that, that especially um, younger people feel like they have to believe to be a Christian are not even essentials to the faith. They're just not. Mm. So my, mm. my message in Irresistible and the way that I preach and teach is to say, you know what? Everybody, everybody can take a step to follow Jesus. You can follow before you believe. You can follow until you believe. You can, I mean, because that was Jesus' first century invitation was follow me. And they discovered who he was on the journey. It wasn't believe first, follow second. So I, I think we, we've got to change our messaging because obviously we live in a post- you know, Christian world. I mean, that's been said a thousand times. I, I, as much as I think most Christians or most pastors believe that, they have not adjusted their sales. They have not adjusted their approach to preaching and teaching and talking about faith. And so, you know, about 10 years ago, I made some pretty major changes in the way that I do that. And I decided it was time to write about it because I, I, you know, I'm not concerned about my faith and your faith, Frank. Like you, I'm concerned about the faith of the next generation, the children and the grandchildren of the people who wouldn't dare miss church. So that's what we're going to talk about. We are going to talk about it with Andy Stanley, the new book, Irresistible, Reclaiming the New that Jesus Unleashed for the World. I'm telling you, this is a theologically deep book, but it's written at a very popular level. And everybody needs to get this, the it. What is it that we need to believe? We'll talk about it and how to communicate it right after the break. I'm Frank Turek, back with Andy Stanley in two. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined Podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button, or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. If you're low on the FM dial looking for NPR, go no further. This will not be discussed on NPR, but it will be discussed here on Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. Don't forget about our app. Two words in the app store. Cross-Examined has this podcast, has our TV show, has a quick answer section on it, a lot more. So check that out as well. And if you would, while you're at the App Store, download the Your Move app, Your Move, and uh, you will see some very, very relevant and applicable messages from my friend Andy Stanley on there. Broadcast, by the way, every Saturday night after Saturday Night Live on NBC Affiliates. And Andy is my guest today. We're talking about his new book, Irresistible, Reclaiming the New That Jesus Unleashed for the World. Uh in fact, Andy, I remember this a couple of years ago, uh, you had texted me uh, a couple of sites that you were doing some research on. And these are testimonies of ex-Christians. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm reading here on Irresistible, page 247, quote, this is what you say. I've never heard a deconversion story involving disbelief in something essential to following Jesus, unquote. Now, I actually called you and I was like, Andy, are you OK? You're, you're, you're looking at deconversion stories, but you were just doing research. <laughs> you were just doing research. And 
that is a very profound statement. Unpack that for us. Yeah, well, and I, and to your audience who loves you, Frank, I'll just uh, add my love. So I, for those of you who are listening, so I, I was sending Frank all this information. I just finished Dawkins' book, and I'd read a couple of Sam Harris books. And, and so, so Frank got concerned about my, my personal faith, and it was just so precious. I don't know if that's the right word. You call me, and you're like, Andy, are you okay? And I, I've told this story so many times. I thought, I just appreciate the fact that you were bold enough to think, you know what? Maybe there's something, you know, maybe he's having a crisis of faith. So thank you uh, for being a friend. But yeah, so I was trying to catch up on all the new atheists so I could talk about it intelligently. And, um, you know, that's that's kind of where that, that whole thing started. But the point about the deconversion stories that that you read about or heard oh, about yeah, yeah. had yeah, nothing I mean, to do with the, with the essentials right. of Christianity. So, right. And this is, this is one of the reasons I wrote, I wrote the book that again, uh-huh. as I've listened to people explain why they left, there's all kinds of reasons, you know, people leave because there's an error. They think there's an error in the Bible. They leave mm-hmm. because of pain and suffering in the world. They, there are all these reasons. And I'm like, you know what? Those are interesting. Books have been written on those things. You know, let's talk about them in the margins, but none of those are essential. I mean, you know, Pain and suffering in the world. Our, the Christian God never claimed to be the God that didn't allow you know bad things to happen to good people. In fact, in Christianity, the best you know the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. So that doesn't undermine our faith. Errors in a book, the foundation of our faith, and this gets me in trouble all the time, Frank. You're going to have to bail me out. But the foundation of our faith is not an errorless book. If that's the case, then there were no Christians until the fourth century, and we nobody believes that. So, so many of the things that have caused, or that people say that have caused them to walk away from faith have nothing to do with the essentials of Christianity. It really comes down to they just don't, as I said a few minutes ago, they just don't believe it anymore. And I think it's incumbent upon us in church leadership and those of us who are thoughtful Christians to ask the question, what is it? And can we refocus people's attention on the essential it? Because so many people would come back to faith. Um, if we decluttered it, if we removed the obstacles, and if I think we recentered our faith on the event of the resurrection and not a perfect book, because the perfect book was the result of the resurrection. It did not create the resurrection. Now, if you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, you need to stick through this entire podcast because I know that some of you are going, what? What do you mean? The Bible's the foundation of our faith. Time out. Hold on. You need to. And this, by the way, this is the very same thing that um, many people have even. Let, let's just be honest. And I've had people write me and say, why are you having Andy on the program? Andy, Andy might be a false teacher. Andy, this, Andy, that Andy said this, Andy said that what they don't do is they never give you a fair hearing by listening to everything you say through an entire sermon series. In fact, we talked about this last time you're on the program. When you do a sermon, you don't, you're not just doing one standalone sermon. How do you do it? Yeah, well, for me, I mean, I preach in series. It's like chapters of a book. You would never pick up a book, go to chapter four, and, and judge the whole book by chapter right. four. So I do message series. I'm very methodical. I work way ahead of time. They build on each other. And I, and I understand people don't have time to sit and listen to a whole series. And, and when my critics crit, critique me for that, I say, well, look, I don't mind you critiquing my sermon style, but don't crit, critique my theology or what you think I believe based on a chapter in a book or a sermon in a series. And so if you don't have time to listen to the whole series, which I understand people are busy, they got their own churches, but, you know, 
as you say, you know, understand what I'm doing. And I try to build a case and there I build the case 35 or 37 minutes at a time. Then we hit pause and everybody goes home and we reconvene the next week. So um, I'm just not smart enough to cram it all into a sermon or maybe they they won't give me four hours, you know, on Sunday to, (laughs) to talk. So, yeah, I'm, I'm frequently misunderstood, but it is not on purpose. Um, I, I think sometimes people, again, aren't willing to stay for the whole conversation. So. Well, both of us have learned from Dr. Geisler. Both of us yep. believe the Bible's inerrant, the inerrant Word of God. However, and here's where the myth comes in that I stopped, that I mentioned at the top of the program. And, and just stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to take us a couple segments to unwrap this. But... Um, how much of the Old Testament is applicable to a Christian's life? Because here I am reading uh, Irresistible. And again, friends, the book is called Irresistible. It comes out September 18th. It's by Andy Stanley. It's called Irresistible, Reclaiming the New that Jesus Unleashed for the World. I'm reading on page 103. You say this, I'm not suggesting the two Testaments are not equally inspired. My point is that they aren't equally applicable. Then a little bit later on page 159, you, you write, Quote, the authors of the New Testament considered the Old Testament scripture, but they didn't consider it binding, unquote. Okay, Andy, unpack this for us now. Why well, is – go ahead. Just unpack well, it from there. We're, we're diving into the middle of the book with no context, but that's okay. Right. You, have, you have very smart listeners. They'll, they'll figure this out. So what, I, what I'm doing in the book is, as the subtitle says, I'm making a case that when Jesus showed up, he was not extending something. He was replacing something. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's what he said. And if you don't like my words, read what the author of Hebrews said. I mean, the author of Hebrews called the Old Covenant obsolete and outdated. Jesus said it will eventually disappear, which it did. August the 6th, on the year 70, ancient Judaism went out of business, never to return. And it was a horrible, horrible day when the Roman soldiers of the 10th Legion breached the walls of the temple of, of the city of Jerusalem the temple caught on fire. They stole everything of value, and the temple became the Temple Mount, and they shoved every single one of those stones created by Herod's um, masons off the edge, and you can go see some of them today. So, you know, all of that's undeniable. But Jesus predicted that. He said not only did he predict the destruction of the temple, he predicted the end of the Old Covenant, not because something was wrong with it. In fact, in the book, I, I say it was actually almost perfect. It was, I have said perfect. My my publisher said, you can't say perfect. I said, okay, it was beautiful. It was brilliant. The the Old Covenant in its original context was superior to every ancient civil law, every ancient moral code. But from the very beginning, it was temporary. It was like the cocoon from which God would birth the light of the world. It was a covenant with a nation, not individuals in the nation. And it was replaced by a, by a superior covenant, as the author of Hebrews says, with superior promises. So this is a really big deal for our apologetic method, and it's a really big deal for our faith, and we dilute our faith when we mix and match those covenants. And you've talked about this on your program, Frank, as well, and Christians have a terrible time of not mixing and matching Old and New Testament promises, and the reason they do, it's people who do what I do's fault. It's the way that pastors, preachers, teachers, and authors sometimes mix and match Old with New Testament, and so we, you know, people grow up believing it's not only is it all inspired, it's all equally applicable. And we end up dumbing down and shaving off the sharp but wonderful edges of our New Testament theology when we try to make it fit with the Old Testament. And it's not that God changed his mind, but God did change covenants on purpose. And, and we are the benefit. 
We've benefited from that because we have the superior covenant with superior promises. And this is a really, really big deal for the church and for our messaging. Now, you go into details about how this applies to the way we should preach and should evangelize and should try and bring people into the Christian faith through apologetics and other means. Uh, so you can get the book, friends, Irresistible by Andy Stanley to go into details, but let's just unpack a few of those things, Andy. Um, first of all, what was Jesus's view of the Old Testament? Well, clearly Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of the promises given to Abraham. And you know, this goes. You know, there's several theological systems. There's Reformed theology, dispensational theology, covenant theology. I get all that, and others. But for sure, what we have in, in Genesis is God coming to Abraham and saying, "You know, I'm going to make you a nation. In fact, multiple nations. And from one of those nations, the entire world will be blessed." Which made no sense to a man with no people in the middle of nowhere. And yet God did. He had a son, Isaac, who had Jacob, who had 12 sons. It became 12 tribes. It became a nation that God delivered from Egypt. It's just a powerful story. And then God established a second covenant with Moses, or excuse me, with the nation of Israel um, through Moses, and then eventually established the final new covenant, um, you know, with, with all mankind. So it's, it's just a powerful epic narrative that, um, again, our, our story is so extraordinarily compelling. I, it's just unfortunate that it gets lost in all the um, confusion around mixing and matching both, you know, those two covenants that were established for different purposes with different groups of people. Yes, and Jesus believed that the Old Testament was Scripture, but as you point out, uh, when the apostles came along, they knew that the Old Testament was true and the Old Testament was Scripture, but it didn't apply to New Testament believers, particularly the Old Testament right. law from, say, Exodus through Deuteronomy. Yet there are people today who are trying to apply it. And you also point out in the book, Irresistible, that much of the prosperity gospel comes from people misinterpreting yeah. the Old Testament. Yeah, all I, you know, exactly. Because, again, God's nation, a God's covenant with Israel was an I will, if you will, conditional covenant. It, it, mm -hmm. It's so clear. He says, you obey me, worship me, and not foreign gods. I will bless you. Um, your wives will be fertile, your cattle will be fertile, your crop, you know, your land will be fertile, you're, you're going to be blessed. But if you worship other gods, if you abandon me, I'm going to physically, in this world, in this life, punish you. Not individuals, but the entire nation. So when God judged the nation, the innocent as well as the guilty suffered. When God blessed the nation, the guilty as well as the innocent prospered. It was a different kind of covenant. So what is the new covenant today? What is the new that Jesus unleashed on the world. That's what we're going to talk about when we come back from the break with my friend Andy Stanley. His new book is called Irresistible, Reclaiming the New That Jesus Unleashed for the World. We'll take a look at that and some other questions right after the break, so don't go away. You're listening to this Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in two minutes. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I don't have enough faith to be an atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, we don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross Examined, you'll be giving 
to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. I want to mention I'll be at Grand Valley State University Thursday, September 20th, and then doing a series of events right after that in Kalamazoo, Michigan. All the details on our website, crossexamined.org, uh, and click on events. You'll see a Frank Turk calendar. And by the way, all of our uh, college events are now streamed, so you can pick them up on Facebook if you can't be there. Like our Facebook pages, crossexamine.org and Dr. Frank Turek, like both of those, and hopefully you'll get the stream when it goes live. I'm talking to my friend Andy Stanley, his new book, Irresistible, Reclaiming the New That Jesus Unleashed for the World. This book, ladies and gentlemen, breaks through and exposes a lot of myths that we have been believing and perpetrating on Christians, much to our detriment and the detriment of people who want might who who might want actually to be Christians, but have ha, have these obstacles in the, in their way, these unnecessary obstacles that 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 we put in their way. When if we just read the scriptures and if we just followed the example of the apostles, which we'll get to a little bit later here in this program, we'd be able to clear those obstacles out of the way, and our churches would be better for that, and the kingdom would be better for that. And Andy has exploded some of these myths, at least exposed them. Uh, and one of the myths we've been talking about is the idea that the Old Testament is equally as binding and applicable to the Christian as the New Testament. That's not true. In fact, Andy, what can we learn from Paul's example and how to read and apply the Old Testament to our lives? Yeah, well, and irresistible, I, I drill down on this, and this is a fascinating thing, Frank. Think about this. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee, and not just a Pharisee. He claimed to be like the best of the best, which, of course, he would do. So. He is a Pharisee, so, I mean, he was trying to persecute the church out of existence. In one single day, he pivots from a law-abiding, you know, temple-loving, high priest, you know, was his boss, Pharisee, and one day he pivots from that to becoming a Jesus follower. So in the book, I make the point that no one who's ever lived had more clarity around the contrast between what the Old Covenant demanded and what the New Covenant demanded. And he was right at the epicenter of the transition, and he transitioned in a day. So Mm. we gain our greatest insight, I think, in terms of how Gentiles and non-Jewish Christians should approach the Old Testament from Paul than anybody else. Jesus was the hinge. He was still—he was living under the Old Covenant while introducing the New. The Apostle Paul is on the other side— He's embraced the new covenant. Now he's looking back and saying, oh, now I understand what the old covenant, he didn't call the old covenant, what the law of Moses was all about. And the interesting thing, Frank, is he actually tells us Christians how we should view and, and apply the, you know, the, the text of what we would call the Old Testament, which he called the law and the prophets. That's what first century Jews called their scripture, the law and the prophets. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I don't know how it gets any clearer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, here's what Paul says. Now, these things, referring to everything that came before, he was just referencing narratives from the Old Testament. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things. Verse 11, these things happened to them as examples. He says it twice. And get this, and were written down, Paul 
Why were these things written down, these Old Testament narratives written down? As warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. He is so consistent. He never sets his application ball on an old covenant T. That is, the Apostle Paul never says, because Moses says, you ought to. He always sets his application ball on the new covenant T, just as in Christ God loved us. Forgive as you've been forgiven. You know, submit to one another out of respect and reverence for Christ. He always leverages the new covenant when it comes to application. And then he says, we are to look to the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the narratives of the Old Covenant as examples, as inspiration, as motivation. So he is so clear on how Christians should handle and interpret and apply and not apply the Old Covenant. But again, because of the way, and I talk about this a lot in the book, because of the way we have, were handed the Bible as children, mm-hmm. it's an all skate. You know, it's all inspired, therefore it's all applicable, and we mix and match covenants like crazy, and we get in trouble. But again, the Apostle Paul was crystal clear on this, and and, and is very, very consistent in terms of how he applied um, the Old Testament. Now, when I teach this, someone always, and I'm glad they do, they bring up the Apostle, when Paul said, hey, but all Scripture is inspired, and Mm -hmm. um, it's good for teaching and reproof, and, you know, the first first Timothy, first Timothy 3.16. Right. Um, verse and then the only isn't all scripture good for those things and I say well if you want to know what somebody means by what they say look at what they do and look at what else they say it's the apostle Paul that makes that statement so if you want to know what he meant in First Timothy three sixteen look at what he says and how he applies the Old Testament and he's very consistent so yes all scripture is good for teaching and reproving and instructing so that a person will be equipped to live out their faith. But how he does that is important, and he's very consistent. The Old Testament pointed toward Jesus. The Old Testament serves as examples. There are principles. There's inspiration. There's motivation. But our New Testament application is always tied to how God, through Christ, loved us. We are to love the way that Jesus loved us. So it's it's clear, and I think we should be clear in our teaching, and specifically, we need to be clearer in how we teach children on how to view and understand uh, the Old Testament. In fact, uh, we've said on this program before, there are no verses in the Bible, friends. Uh, there are no verses. They were put there 500 years ago to help us navigate the passages, but we shouldn't be yeah. yanking stuff out of context uh, and, and trying to apply them in such a way. In fact, you point this out. You were just quoting from 2 Timothy 3.16, but you also yeah. quote— okay. Yeah, you, you, you also quote, and this is one of my pet peeves, too, when, when people quote Jeremiah 29, 11 as if it applies to them, when it's really applying to the exiles in Babylon. Yeah. And all, all this is unpacked in the book Irresistible by Andy Stanley, reclaiming the new that Jesus unleashed for the world. Now, you also say in here, Andy, that a number of years ago you stopped saying the Bible says, and you, 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 you changed. Why did you change, and, and how did you change? Well, I changed because uh, where, where our modern version of faith is fatally flawed is we preach and teach as if the, with, we preach and teach the assumption that as the Bible goes, so goes our faith, as opposed to what Paul said, which was, as the resurrection goes, so goes our mm-hmm. faith. He said, if there is no resurrection, if Jesus did not rise, our faith is useless. He did not say that about any other thing. For the Apostle Paul, the whole thing rose and fall on the resurrection. 
So years ago, um, about nine years ago, I quit using the phrase, as you said, the Bible says, the Bible teaches, the Word of God says, the Word of God teaches. And instead, I began being technically more accurate by saying, Jesus said, Paul writes, James wrote, Moses said, Peter preached, and actually quoting the characters or quoting the men specifically who were, according to the Apostle Paul, the ones who were actually inspired or moved along by the Holy Spirit to write these things down. Technically, and you know, your audience will understand this, technically the Bible isn't inspired. What's inspired are the inspired documents because they were written by inspired men. So it's not inaccurate to step away from the Bible says the Bible teaches and to quote specifically the inspired authors of these texts. And where this is important, it helps non-Christians, post-Christians, those reaching for the door to leave to understand that I'm not asking them to have I'm not asking them to accept everything in the Bible as true up front. I'm simply asking them to examine specific texts and specific statements made by specific people in specific contexts, and most importantly, the eyewitnesses of the resurrection and those that knew Jesus personally, because, it, again, it all rises and falls not on a text. It all rises and falls on an event. So I just changed my terminology. I didn't announce it. I just made the change. Nobody even noticed, and it and what it did for Christians, not just post-Christians or non-Christians, what it did for Christians, it allowed them to be drawn into more of the narrative. Every time I quote from James, I never say, you know, the Bible says, mm-hmm. you know, I always say, when I get to James, I say, James, the brother of Jesus says. And then I always stop and say, what would your brother have to do to convince you he was the son of God? Everybody laughs. I'm like, mm-hmm. exactly. Get this. In the first century, James emerges and he says his brother was his Lord. Let's see what James has to say. Well, see, that's way more compelling than the Bible says. So mm-hmm. I just changed my terminology, not because I changed my belief or understanding of the Bible, but again, to reach a post-Christian culture, to be more accurate, and again, to regain the attention of a group of people that has lost interest in faith because they were raised to believe that if the entire Bible isn't true, the whole thing goes away. If it wasn't six literal days of creation, then why should I believe that Jesus rose after three days in the tomb. So um, it's just a different approach. It's not a different theology. In fact, uh, one of the great points you make in the book, Irresistible, and we're talking to Andy Stanley, his new book, September 18th is the release date, is Irresistible, Reclaiming the New that Jesus Unleashed for the World. You also point out, I think it's a great point, you say that speaking to non-Christians today with the phrase the Bible says has about the same effect as a Muslim saying to a Christian, the Quran says. Exactly. We yeah, would go. Yeah, yeah. We we would say, well, that's interesting. I'm not going to argue with you whether or not the Quran says that, but I am going to tell you I don't think it has any authority over me. So yeah. So what if it says that? That's a that's a statement of fact, but it doesn't have any relevance to my life. And the great news is because of what the Bible actually is, we are not left. We, we you know we're we're not backed into the corner of having to say the Bible says. <clears throat> we have the option of saying Matthew said. Mark wrote, Mark who knew Peter, Peter who knew Jesus writes, and it's a far more compelling argument, it's more accurate, and it takes away people's excuses, from, or actually it removes the argument that says, well, the Bible may say that, but here's something else that the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Again, um, it's just, it's really an apologetic approach to preaching. 
Now, this is the approach that I use on a college campus, by the way, friends. Uh, I don't go in there and say, the reason I believe this is true is because the Bible says. I go in there and try and give them evidence that truth exists, God exists, miracles are possible, and the miracle of the resurrection occurred. If that's the case, you ultimately arrive at an inerrant Bible, but you don't start there. That's exactly. that's the conclusion, not the premise. So if, if you're just tuning in now, again, don't take any of this out of context. Both Andy and I believe in an errant Bible, but we're not going to start there. <laughs> you, you don't you don't start there. You might end there. And look, even if somebody never comes to the conclusion that the Bible's inerrant, they can still be a Christian and still make it to heaven. Okay. Well, so, not everybody agrees with you on that, Frank. I do. Yeah, I know. I'm glad you're willing to make that point because, unfortunately, there are streams of Christianity that say it's an all-or-nothing thing. If you don't accept the entire Bible, you can't be a Christian. Fortunately, that's not the case. Yeah, well, if you don't accept the entire Bible, you disagree with Jesus, and I don't want to disagree with Jesus. However, I don't need that as a premise to become a Christian, and nobody else does either. Nobody else needs to believe in the whole Bible in order to become a Christian. You will conclude that... Well, we're running out of time here. We're going to be back with Andy Stanley for more on his book, Irresistible. So hopefully this conversation's irresistible. Don't go away. We're back in two. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type cross-examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. How can we make our approach irresistible? Because the gospel should be irresistible to people who are open. I realize there are people out there who are not open. Doesn't matter what you do, they're not gonna, they're not gonna trust Christ. But what about the people who are open? How can we make it as irresistible as Jesus is? And Andy Stanley's new book, Irresistible: Reclaiming the New That Jesus Unleashed for the World, is a critical. Uh, new work that will help you do that, help you make Christianity irresistible. And Andy, before we go any further, the subtitle says, Reclaiming the New That Jesus Unleashed for the World. What is the new that Jesus unleashed for the world? Well, Jesus did not come to continue something old. He came to replace something old and establish something brand new. And really four things. Uh, He established a new movement, the church. He told his disciples outside of Caesarea Philippi, I'm, you know, the Peter, the statement you made that I'm this Christ, the Son of the living God, um, you're exactly right. And on this statement, on this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia, which was not a building, wasn't a piece of real estate. I'm going to build my gathering, my assembly, my congregation. So a brand new movement that we call the church. And he inaugurated it with a brand new covenant predicted by Jeremiah. But the night they gathered before that last Passover, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. He did something unthinkable, um, Frank. He took Passover that they'd been celebrating since they were children and said, "Okay, from now on, this isn't about this isn't about leaving Egypt. This isn't about Moses taking the people from Pharaoh. This isn't about let my people go. From now on, when you celebrate this this Passover meal, it's about me because this is the establishment of a new covenant in my blood that he would shed the next day. So the new movement, the new covenant, and then he issued his new command." He said, and this is the governing ethic. This will be the governing ethic for my new movement. This is the not 613 commands, not 10 commands, the one commandment. You are to love as I have loved you, which leads us to our new apologetic, that as new covenant people, we have a different apologetic. We have a different argument for faith than the Jews did. 
for theirs. And our argument isn't even based on the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, which were for first century Jews and some modern Jews, but not most. Our, our apologetic is first, the resurrection, second, the destruction of the temple, and third, the, the existence and the flourishing of the local church. I mean, those three things are undeniable. So new movement, new covenant, new command, new apologetic. Now, the new command, love one another as I have loved you. Now, today's culture thinks that love means you have to approve everything I want to do. Is that the case? Well, all you have to do is we, all we have to do is read the Gospels or what the Apostle Paul said, and absolutely not. Love is, I'm going to say what you need to hear, and I'm going to say it the way you need to hear it. Every parent understands what unconditional love is all about. Parents would be willing to die for their children, but at the same time, parents are willing to get in the face of their children because they love them. I mean, this is... This is what our Heavenly Father did for us, and this is what earthly fathers do. And so, no, love, love isn't soft. Um, in fact, you know, Jesus' Jesus' greatest demonstration of love was dying covered in his own blood. So this isn't soft. This isn't mushy. It's not, you know, um, compassion out of control. Love, love is tough, and real love is real tough. So uh, that's a mischaracterization, and I think people fear um, that if we just embrace love, we're going to become soft around the edges and we're going to put up with all kinds of sin and nonsense. Mm. But that is that is not the case. In fact, the question that I ask in the book or the question that I ask readers to begin asking is, what does love require of me? Because love always requires something of me. What does mm. love require of me? And that question is so um, terrifyingly clear that again, there are no loopholes in that kind of love. There are no workarounds. It's not like the law where I can pitch laws against each other and find an, an escape hatch from having to do what I know I need to do. What does love require of me, especially in the shadow of the cross? Um, it is far less complicated, but it is far more demanding. It means sacrifice, and few of us want to do that, unfortunately. Right. We'd rather have a bunch of rules because that right. way I can I can leverage the rules and figure out a workaround. So. Right. Well, well, that, that, that's another difference between the old and the new. And clear it up for us right now, Andy, if you would. It used to be that if you do X, God will do Y. Why is that no longer the case necessarily? <laughs> Why is that no when longer? Some, when someone dies for you, they've done all they ever need to do for you. We are, in, we are on the other side of the greatest gift that we could ever have been given. Someone paid for all of our sins. If God never answered another prayer, we are still indebted to him for the rest of our lives. We owe him everything. If he never answered another prayer, if he never showed up, if he never gave us warm feelings in worship, if he, again, we, it's already been done. There, there, there's, it's, what else is there to ask for? Everything is change, again, you know, compared to the sacrifice he made for us through his son Jesus. In the Old Testament, it was obey to be blessed because that's the deal God struck with the nation of Israel. But the new covenant in my blood, it was the same kind of covenant that God made with Abraham. God said, I'm going to make a promise to you, Abraham. You sit over here on the sidelines. I'm going to inaugurate this covenant myself. You're not included because you don't have a part to play. And so it is with us. We have been invited to embrace the most extraordinary gift imaginable. And that's why, Frank, I don't under I, I don't understand why everybody wouldn't want this to be true. I just think when the gospel is clear, people lean in and instead of looking for an argument against, they should be looking for a door in. 
And I think the church has, again, just created so many unnecessary obstacles. That's why it's called good news. That's why it's called freedom. And if your version of Christianity doesn't make you more free, if your version of Christianity isn't good news, you may have the wrong version. Okay, we got a lot of people listening right now who are in a position of leadership, Andy, and the book goes into details. Again, the book is Irresistible, Reclaiming the New that Jesus Unleashed for the World by Andy Stanley. He's going to be coming to about eight different cities around the country. Uh, You can go online, the Deep and Wide Tour, and find out where he's going to be. I highly recommend you go to that all-day session. But for people that can't go there, and if they're not going to get the book, at least give them something what should they do? I mean, I, I was privileged, privileged enough to read this book in advance and put a little endorsement on it. I said, this book is going to set your ministry back, back to the first century. What does that mean? Well, you know, Peter said that we're to be ready to give a, an answer for those who question us, that we're supposed to have an answer for the hope that is in us. And if we were to say to Peter, Peter, what gave you hope? There is no way that his answer is so predictable because Peter followed Jesus. Then Jesus, Peter unfollowed Jesus, and then Peter refollowed Jesus. And when you read the Gospels and ask the question, what brought Peter's hope to life again? It was not something he read. It was something he saw, his resurrected friend, his resurrected rabbi and Savior. And so what I want people to understand is that we in the marketplace, in the school system, in the neighborhood, in our personal faith, must put the spotlight back on the event of the resurrection rather than an inspired text because people have too many questions that we can't answer in a moment about Genesis through Revelation, but we can make a clear and compelling argument for the resurrection of Jesus, who not only died for our sins, as the Apostle Paul said, but was buried and rose and was seen. That's when Christianity started. That's when Peter's um, faith flared back to life. And that has to be the epicenter of our story and our faith. See, that is the approach that I think is brilliant. Uh, and I love what you said. You said this in a series a couple of years ago, Who Needs God, I think it was, where you said, do you believe or do you, do you realize there were thousands of Christians before a line of the New Testament was ever written? Take it from here, yeah. Andy. Yeah, Take it absolutely. From here. Again, we have an event-based faith, not a text-based faith text-based faith. After the Reformation, sola scriptura, which I'm all for the Reformation and all for the five solas, I believe all of that, but sola scriptura got, you know, taken out of context to the point where it's like the Bible became the foundation of our faith. It's not. The Bible is the result of faith in the resurrection of Jesus. There were, as you just said. It's so interesting, Frank, the Bible, to Biblia, the first time to Biblia, the first time that phrase was used, to refer to the Jewish scripture being put together with New Testament scripture. The first time that happened was after Christianity had already been embraced by the Roman Empire as the religion of the empire. It was in the fourth century. So no one said the Bible says, the Bible teaches, the Bible says, the Bible teaches until 350 plus years after the resurrection. So the question is, what was going on between the resurrection and the middle of the fourth century? Well, people had embraced a risen Savior. And in the beginning, it was eyewitnesses, not what was written. And I just think we have to step back onto that fertile soil. It was tougher than Roman steel and harder than Roman nails that survived the temple and the empire. And that's our story. And that's where we need to um, put our stake in the ground. 
Now, as we said earlier, we both believe the Bible's inerrant, but again, that's not a that's not a premise. That's a conclusion. We need exactly. to show people that yeah. Christianity is true through the resurrection, and then we can talk about the Bible. But to try and do it in a reverse format would be like saying you just got to believe the Quran, Christians, and then you'll become a Muslim. No, wait, time yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, the thing I say, and Frank, you've heard me preach in those terms. I say that if every time I get a chance to, I say, look. If somebody can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, mm-hmm. I go with whatever that person says. So my <laughs> version, my my belief or my view of the Old Testament is Jesus' view. Why would I argue with Jesus over what he says about his own scripture if he pulled off his own death and resurrection? So historically, that's undeniable because as I talk about this in the book, Gentiles did not become interested in the Jewish scripture until after they became interested in one particular Jew, Jesus. Before that, they just thought the Jews were racist. They thought the Jews were weird. They let them live in their own little communities. They had very little to do with them because the Gentile Jews wouldn't have anything to do with them. Read Acts chapter 10. You know, Cornelius, when Peter goes to see Cornelius, he says, you know what? I've never even been in a Gentile home before. That's like 15 years after the resurrection. So Gentiles did not embrace Jewish scripture until after they embraced a particular Jew. So to your point, to front load evangelism and to front load our preaching with the whole Bible is to ignore history. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to get this book by Andy Stanley. It's called Irresistible, Reclaiming the New That Jesus Unleashed for the World. Get his app, the Your Move app. There's so much more at northpoint.org as well. Andy, as always, great having you. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate the opportunity. Great stuff from Andy Stanley. Again, get the book if you want the details. Don't take stuff out of context. See you here next week. God bless. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the Cross-Examined Official Podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support.